Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. That portion of God's word which we consider this morning, the Holy Spirit caused the Apostle John to write for our comfort and our learning. Uh, the words of John 16. Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Let us pray. Thou holy fire, comfort true, grant us the will thy work to do, and in thy service to abide, let trials turn us not aside. Lord, by thy power prepare each heart, and to our weakness strength impart, that bravely here we may contend through life and death to thee our Lord ascend. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. There are many little whiles in our lives. And the older we get, the more we realize that our whole life here on earth is just but a little while. And blessed and happy is the child or the young man or woman who recognizes this and takes it to heart when you are young. Now, in today's gospel, this word little while in the Greek is just one word is repeated seven times, and there are some who try to extrapolate from this a symbolic meaning, and that's fine. Three is the number for God, and four is the number of the world, and little whiles bring God and man together. And it gets a bit tiring hearing all these little whiles. It's like, didn't the Apostle John know what pronouns were, you know? But it's good to consider why in this Hebraic way, these little whiles repeated again and again for us. Because our whole life consists of little whiles. And it's good for us to consider it on this happy day, this Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. Our fathers in the church appointed lessons from John 14 through 16 after or during the Easter season because they held to the tradition that Jesus went over these words that he spoke to his disciples again after he rose from the dead and before he ascended into heaven. And so it is great that the church in her wisdom hands down to us a tradition that benefits us poor pilgrims and sojourning Christians. Because we are exiles in this world. This is not our home. And that is a big difference between Christians and unbelievers. Christians have a goal that they have not yet attained. Our goal is to see God in Christ. And it is a little while before we see him. Whereas, and so this world is like a hotel or an inn in which we stay. And happy is the one who realizes this and recognizes it. That our life does not consist in just a few little whiles, but in an eternity of seeing God and rejoicing in him. So jubilate means to sing aloud, shout joyfully. And God wants us to sing aloud and shout joyfully against sin and doubt and sadness, all the joy that his works give to, give to us. But there are so many problems and troubles and evils that would hinder us from wanting even to do this. What if we don't feel like it? What if joy and our shouting it doesn't seem to be the right thing to do in the face of what we're going through right now? Jesus gives us the answer 
Amen, amen, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful and your sorrow will be turned into joy. If you are sad, if you have lost something or someone that was dear to you, if you are still mourning over your sins, if you don't feel the joy of the resurrection, if the world seems to you far too powerful, then you must remember that every time of trial and sorrow and feeling your sin is just a little while. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Now, why does Jesus tell his disciples that they're going to be sorrowful? What a downer. Because they will be. He warns them ahead of time so that when they are sorrowful, they don't despair and think that all is lost. And that is the tendency of our poor human hearts. We can't see the victory and the end of pain in the midst of our anguish, in the midst of our confusion. It's like a woman in labor. She has sorrow because her hour has come. And I have seen it nine times with my own eyes. The pain, and I am helpless to help my wife. And she must face, as the poet says, death by torture for the life beneath her breast. Now, nowadays, doctors can remove a lot of the pain. But even with some of the pain removed, the danger is there. The woman's hour has come. She has sorrow. But it cannot be for the Christian that the sorrow is constant or that it is our eternal lot in life. When she has delivered the baby, she forgets her sorrow for joy that a man has been born into the world. Life comes after the sorrow. And life is what gives us joy. And that is why Jesus, the, Jesus says, your sorrow will be turned into joy. Now the first little while in which we, that Jesus is talking about, in which we should consider all of our little whiles in life, all of our little whiles of suffering, is <clears throat> about the disciples. He had been taken from them into bondage, and he was treated shamefully, falsely accused, whipped and beaten, and then he was crucified between two robbers and was laid in the grave away from their sight. They did not see him for a little while. And what a little while. I can't imagine. Can you imagine the sorrow of these disciples? They had never known such love as Jesus had shown them. They had never felt such power as when Jesus gave them authority to cast out demons, to, to heal the sick and raise the dead. They had never felt such glory when Jesus showed them that he could still the storm, feed the world, cleanse lepers, make the lame walk, make the blind see, and stand with courage against the Pharisees, forgive the sins of the worst sinners, and speak with authority that no one had ever shown before. They loved him. They had joy from him. The earth had never seen such power wrapped and cloaked in humility and love. A power that drew near to the brokenhearted, that comforted people who had none, that encouraged them and warned them so gently of evil only to reveal to them more and more good that the world had taken away. And then it was all taken away. It seemed they didn't see him. Gone was their confidence, their joy. Any withdrawal of depression that comes upon a man because he no longer has his fix is nothing compared to the plummet from joy to sorrow that Jesus' disciples had when they couldn't see him anymore. They were bereft of the highest good, it seems. 
They went from pledging their love to him to abandoning and denying him. They went from confidence to cowardice that locked the room for fear of the Jews. They went from heaven to hell, it felt. But it was a little while. It was only a little while. And they saw him again, alive from the dead, not chiding them except for their unbelief when they didn't believe that it was truly him. He spoke peace, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Heaven had risen from the dead. Joy had come out of sorrow. The hour of darkness had come, and for three days, a little while, had plunged them into bewilderment and sorrow. But now the light shone with all the glory of God from the wounds of a man no longer mortal, but immortal, no longer wounded, but healing their wounds, no longer sorrowful, but giving a joy that no man could take from them. Because life had come. Life was risen from the grave. They must have felt like forever, but it was just a little while. It was a real abiding sorrow mingled with fear and shame and knowledge of their sin, and it was turned into joy. Jesus promised it would. He said it would, and it did. He cannot lie, and he does not lie to you when he says to you a little while. And so every one of our little whiles needs to be put into perspective with this little while. Jesus wants us to do that. We have a little while of suffering, and then God turns our sorrow into joy. It can be sorrow over all sorts of things. It can be suffering over all kinds of things. So it could be a sin that is bothering you or besetting you. A sin that's plaguing your conscience because it has laid hold of you too many times to count. It could be anger or hatred. It could be greed and desire for more material possessions. It could be pride that refuses to let you think of anything but evil about those you know you, who did you wrong. And you make every excuse to keep thinking that you can judge because it feels right. And you make excuses to think it's too hard to abandon this sin. It could be bitterness against God and because the authority he has placed over you has not treated you as you should. It could be lust that has kept you desiring what is evil and forbidden and defiles the good of God's creation. And the world says it's not harmful and it's your freedom, but you know it's not. It is bondage. It could be gossip and your desire to tear one another down so that you feel you are lifted up. And you have repented of this sin. Despite what the world says, which says it's no sin at all or it's not that bad. You have repented of your sin as you should because those who continue without repentance surely have no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. That inheritance is found in the forgiveness of sin, not in denying it and covering it up. But the sin keeps coming back because you are weak, because your worship and prayers have faltered, because you have like a sheep turned to your own way again and again. Now the lie of the devil is that this sin must remain forever. Because you feel it. And it's strong. And it comes from your own heart, as Jesus says. You have a desire, a pride, a feeling, a thought that you will have to fight for the rest of your life. And the devil says you can't. And the world says you shouldn't. This is who you are. And your flesh says you just don't want to. I'm not strong enough. 
And so it seems this sin must remain forever, that it is not a little while, but that it is forever. That it must rule, and the devil tries to persuade you to let it rule so that you don't even fight it anymore, and you just let it happen. Because fighting is too hard, and you're too weak, and how can God expect so much of me? So you might as well embrace the sin and the sorrow that you know comes with it, because it is better than having sorrow for it. How long will the sorrow last? Won't it last forever? I'll waste my whole life feeling bad about something that I want to do. Can't you just be happy by embracing your sin and living with it, accepting it? That is the way of the world. She pushes away the knowledge of sin so that she can rejoice. No, there is no joy in sin. All of sin's joys are less than a little while. They may taste sweet, but at the end they are as bitter as vinegar and wormwood. You must remember Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. You must remember that God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You must remember that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. You must remember that God knew all of your sin before he took on human flesh and blood to know your sin's punishment. You must remember that he says, no one who comes to me, I will cast out. You must remember that Jesus knew this about you, knew your sin, knew its power. And remember that he did not shun the cross, even when it meant him tasting the bitterness of all your pain. But he looked at the joy set before him. And that joy is you. You're why he came. And you must hear and keep in your heart that the sin was on Jesus for a little while. And yet he felt the eternal weight of shame and guilt and punishment. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so he knows what a little while is. You must hear the voice of your shepherd who tells you, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. A little while you confess your sins and feel their pain. A little while you admit that you were wrong. That you have done evil. That you are weak and can't escape from the pit that you yourself dug and fell into. A little while, weeping endures for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. For his anger is but for a moment, but his, but favor, but his favor is life that does not end. Remember your goal. Remember what you are living for. You are not living for fleeting pleasures of sin that the world exalts. You don't see Jesus when you look at your life only and only see what is wrong with it. But Jesus says he draws near to the brokenhearted. And didn't he just do just that when he appeared in the midst of the frightened, sorrowful, ashamed, and sinful disciples and said, Peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his feet. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They were glad when they saw that the man who died for their sin wasn't angry with them and wanted to be with them and embrace them. And all their sorrow was gone for joy that a man was born again from the grave. Your struggle against sin is worth it. Don't give up. If you have fallen a thousand times, 
10,000 times. Yet right now, Jesus stands in the midst of us and says, Peace be with you. He shows you his wounds and the body and the blood that he gives at this altar. He died for that sin. Don't look at your sin as if it is yours. Jesus claimed it. Therefore, look at Christ who bore it and washed it away in his own blood. He forgives you. And he promises to help you. He will never abandon you. He never has. He doesn't lie. Everyone else has disappointed you. Jesus never has. And if you feel sorrow, that's fine. Yes, you will feel sorrow. Jesus said you would. Jesus says you will soon feel joy. And if you don't feel life like it should be, and you see the world promising a life that they say is the real life, fulfilling your dreams, doing whatever your heart desires, but the life that the world gives didn't rise from the dead. Jesus comes and gives you life that rose from the dead. Do you feel the power of sin? Jesus speaks to you and tells you of his power over sin for you. He is, your sa- he is your Savior, not you. He is your joy, not what you need to do. He is your life and righteousness and glory, and so from the midst of your sorrow over sin, seek the Lord. Cry out to Him. He cried for you on the cross. Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. I, the Lord, dwell in a high and lofty place with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. It is only a little while, and you will see him. You will see him victorious over that sin that has bound you so long. And he will rejoice over you. And you will see him by faith and have a joy that no one can take from you. Because he will see you, and he will lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. There are many little whiles. Remember where you're going. Remember your goal. You are sojourners and pilgrims here. Your home is in heaven. This world is just an inn. Have you lost someone God gave you? Maybe it's someone who died or someone who abandoned you or someone who left the faith. And that person who gave you joy no longer gives you joy. Your memories aren't enough. You worked hard to show love to him, and you prayed for him, and you suffered for him, and now he's gone. Maybe even the light of his eyes and the warmth of his smile and the memories only make you more sad. And the devil tells you that your sorrow should be forever. And the world says to forget God who took him from you. And your, fr- and your flesh maybe relishes the pain that justifies you being mad at God and others who don't understand your sorrow. Heathen have this sad habit of relishing and romanticizing the sorrow because it's all they have. Listen to their songs. And the devil constantly tells the world that this sorrow must be forever. But it is only a little while for Christians. This is not only because the life we have on earth is only a little while. It is because that even during this little while on earth, the sorrow that rises up again and again for those whom we have lost is not stronger than the joy who rose from the dead and sits at God's right hand and fills all things and pleads for us and is preparing a mansion for you. See him again. He is looking at you. 
He is looking at you with the same eyes that he looked at Mary when she didn't recognize him, but recognize him. He's the one who made you and was made man for you, and he lost everything for you, and he worked and labored and gave his life for those who don't even acknowledge him, and he knows your pain, he knows your loss. He says in Isaiah 49, this is a prophecy, then I said, I labored in vain. I spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. Jesus knows what it's like to lose someone. He died for everyone and most people deny him. He loves everyone. He has lost more than you. He knows your pain. And he knows how to take your sorrow and turn it into joy. He offered everything he had to God for you and all that you have is with him and all that you need is in him. And all joy, enough to drown even the deepest sorrow, is beating in his living heart, breathed through his living lips, and spoken to you again today. I make all things new, he says. He is your joy after the little while. He suffered for everyone. In him is your hope, not in your sad thoughts and your understanding things. It is not forever this sorrow, this loss. He rose from the dead with hope for the hopeless, and love for the loveless, and life for the lifeless. His life is not bitter and angry and confused. His life is clear and merciful and full of hope and joy that no man can take from you, not even the one you love who has left you or returned to the dust. Now, as I said, the greatest difference between the life of a believer in Christ and an unbeliever on earth is the direction of our lives. It's where we're going. The believer looks for God. This is a man named U.V. Koren. He's a Norwegian. I just got his books this week. And he was friends with my third great-grandfather. And he said, he wrote these words. I'm quoting him. The believer looks for God in Christ. The unbeliever lives without God and despises and avoids him. The believer has the right goal in life but hasn't reached it yet. He is still in the world. In the world you will have sorrow, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice, the world will rejoice because it places its hope entirely on this life. And so when it experiences sorrow, it overcomes the little whiles by ignoring the sorrow and grasping at the world's pleasures, but it hasn't overcome a single sorrow. None of its joys can take away sin. None of its joys can bring back the dead. None of its joys can give them God. The Christian's goal, however, is not as Joel Osteen famously wrote, to live our best life now. What an awful hair. If you don't know who he is, thank God. The goal of the Christian is not to gain us as much happiness as the creation can give, but to know the Creator, God in Christ, <coughs> through whom all things were made. The Christian's goal, the believer's goal, is while we are living in this inn of the world, to endure the little whiles of life by grasping at the joy that no man can take from us. The Christian's goal is always God in Christ. This world will rejoice in many things while you're sad, and you'll want to go join them. But the joys of this earth pass away. All flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the field, but the word of our God stands forever. What beautiful word. And so Jesus' comfort in that word sustains you as you press towards this goal of seeing God face to face and finding in Christ everything that you feel you lost, but all good is in him, all joy is in him.
and he is risen from the dead and lives and reigns. For a little while you're going to be tempted. You have flesh and blood. The world is not as friendly as she actually might appear to be. The devil is still prowling around. The fruit is there with all the original promises of original sin. You will not surely die. You will be wise like God, knowing good and evil. You can judge God. You're smart. You will have pleasure that will alleviate the little while of sorrow. You will enjoy a life that for too long has been unenjoyable because of that mean God up there. You will have your own life as your own. But that is only for a little while. Let the little while be sorrow, if the eternity can be joy. Let the little while be tears for a night. The morning brings a sun of joy that will not set. Let the little while be prayer and crying out to God, how long? Since we know that God hears your prayers and gives you whatever you ask in his name. Brothers and sisters, Whatever pain, whatever sorrow you feel, see it with faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Don't let the devil define the little while as an eternity. Don't believe the world who promises you little whiles of peace that don't take away your sorrow. Hate the flesh which tells you to love yourself more than him who has only ever shown you love for your sorrow, who felt your sorrow and rose without your sorrows to give you joy again today. See Jesus today, and your sorrow will be turned to joy. Look at him with the eyes of faith here, and your soul will live. Frightened mother listens to the world who tells her that her life will be ruined if she doesn't kill her offspring in her womb. The devil lies and tells her that she will have the joy of life if she ends the life that she says will bring her sorrow. Her flesh believes it, and the butcher does his work, and she is lifted, and she is left in sorrow that all the lies she was told can't take away. Jesus can. Jesus died for her, for that baby. And it is only a little while that you feel the guilt, but it is forever that you feel the mercy. It is always that you receive the forgiveness of sins now in this earthly life, finding a Savior who pardons murderers, adulterers, prideful men and women, humbled, haters left with no love, but behold, here stands the Lord God Almighty in your flesh and blood, loving you, forgiving you, giving you an eternity of joy for a little while of sorrow, giving you everlasting laughter for just a few tears, promising you what he proved he can deliver. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no man will take from you. He sees, he looks at you. He says, it's interesting, I was talking with Becky about this yesterday. He says, you will see me again, and then he says, I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. He sees you when you love, and no love is returned. He sees you pray so weakly. Faith as a mustard seed can move God to tears for you. He sees you stray as often as you stray, and as that did not stop Jesus from dying for you then, it does not stop him from coming to you now with pardon and compassion and pity and joy that the world can't give, but he gives it because he rose from the dead. 
And this joy does not die. Therefore, beloved children of God, oh, what love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Do not chafe against the sorrow that your Lord lets you feel. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. We know that children who have been rescued from something stupid and harmful that they have done, what do their parents do? They give them a warning because they love them. How much more so our dear father who didn't spare his own son when he saw us pining away in sorrow that could not end but gave him up for us all to end our sorrow. He will warn you. He will let you have a harsh boss, an unloving father or mother, a cruel government, a betraying friend, an ungrateful child. He will take what he has given on earth. He will let you suffer for a little while. He will warn us, rebuke us, direct us, lay crosses on us, give us pain, dislocate Jacob's leg when he's wrestling with him, but he will bless you. God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. It is a joy that no man can destroy. And we know this. He keeps us going. We pass through the valley of Baca from spring to spring from life to life, from joy to joy. As little as Christ can die again because he has truly risen, so little can this joy be taken away from your baptism, away from the gospel that I preach to you, away from the supper that Jesus gives to you. When he looks at you with mercy and speaks to you the peace that surpasses your understanding. And therefore we will shout for joy even, even from sorrow. The birds can teach us. Isn't it nice to hear them sing the praises of God? We will sing aloud and lift up our hearts and voices to him who gives what he promises, who makes us forget our sorrow for joy that a man is born into the world. For just as the woman forgets her sorrow for joy that every one of these kids was born into the world, I have seen it. What a beautiful analogy Jesus makes. So we forget our sorrow when Jesus forgives us. We look only to him. We look away from our sin and only to him. He forgives us and we rejoice for joy of the new birth he has given us, for joy of the eternal life we have that this little while can't take away. Shout for joy all the earth. Sing forth the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. When the world weeps and laments at the end of all she treasured, when heaven and earth pass away, we will rejoice because our eyes will only be on Jesus coming to give us that joy which we have tasted here on earth. It will soon feast on soon in heaven with all our hearts. A little while, and it will happen. A little while, and our sorrow will be turned into joy. Amen.